we look to you because you're, you're great. And just being in your presence is awe-inspiring. You give us such awe. Uh, and evangelism is really sharing your awe with those who do not know it, those who are dying because they don't know it. And that is why we're about to study this passage about evangelism. Father, help us to fill with awe. We're not praying for tactics. We're not praying for uh, methods. We're, 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 we're praying for deep conversion, for deep persuasion. So out of this sense of deep persuasion that we will not help but to share, our work, share, our, share your gospel with others. We, we pray for that persuasive power this, this morning. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series on evangelism. And uh, I think there's a, it's going to be a brief summary of what we talked about last week. And so basically, the call of evangelism is, um, evangelism is Jesus called every single one of his disciples to evangelize. It's not just reserved for those who are talented in public speaking. It is not those who are just like extra brave who are called to call the, share the gospel. Every single his disciples, Jesus says in the Great Commission, to go make disciples of all nations. So if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you will heed to this call. But once again, as I talked talk last week, he doesn't want you to do things. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to evangelize because, you know, to, to see whether how brave you are or, or to test you of how, you know, whether you truly believe what you say. Call to evangelism is not a test that Jesus wants you to pass. That's not it. Jesus wants you to evangelize because by evangelizing, you're fulfilling the two greatest commandments, which is loving God and loving other people. The best, we talked about last week, the best way that you love God and honor God and glorify God is to share who he is properly with the people in your life. And the best way that you love the people in your life is to tell them about this message that can save their soul. So evangelism is the best way, right, to honor God and love other people. Let's talk about loving other people. So I was listening to a sermon by a pastor named Chip Ingram. I love a guy like, you know, pastor named Chip, right? And good old Chip, right, shared, he said, he heard the story about Penn Jillette. You know who Penn Jillette is? He's like a, he's a very famous musician, like magician, right? And, and Chip Ingram said, what Penn Jillette said literally blew his mind. I hope it didn't literally blow his mind because, you know. But anyway, he said, like, what Penn Jillette shared was so shocking because Penn Jillette is a staunch atheist, right? He wrote, he wrote books about atheism, right? And so this story goes, one of a Christian came up to Penn Jillette and said, can I give you this Bible? And the guy who gave, tried to approach Penn Jillette the Bible thought Penn Jillette will like, kick him out or yell at him or something. But what made the story shocking was Penn Jillette looked at this guy and really thanked him. And this is what he said. He said, if you guys truly believe that Jesus Christ can save me, if you truly believe that I'm going to hell, but it is only through Christ that I can be saved, then not giving me this book, not sharing this message, is really hating me. If you hate me, 
And if you really believe Jesus is the salvation, hating me is not sharing that word. He said, if you love me, you will share this word. That's what an atheist says, and that's absolutely right. If we truly claim to have the message that leads to salvation, the message that leads to transformation and healing and glory, should we not share this with the people in your life, the unbelievers, who are suffering because they do not know God? One of the beautiful experiences that I have at Starbucks sometimes, when you, 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 walk at, you, you go to Starbucks, right? I'm not a millennial, so I like Starbucks. I think Starbucks coffees are great. I don't care about sl- like, slow drip, right? I don't care about the way they fry beans, right? I, I don't care, right? No offense, millennials. So the best, like, the, 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 when, when, you, when you go to Starbucks, sometimes, occasionally, I see two like, young people, most often Asian, right? open up their Bibles at Starbucks and doing one-to-one Bible study. When I'm looking at that, I feel so touched. I want to buy them coffee. You know what I mean? The sharing that word with each other is such a beautiful, loving, God-honoring thing. And that's why God wants us to evangelize. For the sake of love, you know? And you evangelize not only because you love other people, but like I said, that's how you glorify God. God is best glorified when we act and say things that are correct about who He is. Our actions that reflect His morality and our words that correctly represent His truth is the way you glorify Him. Like, I was having lunch a couple of weeks ago at our, you know, what, what, what do you call that? A cafeteria, right? And I was having lunch with, like, a group of people, right? And, you know, and we're talking about, like, they told me, hey, did you know that if you go to another state and work as a consultant at another other state, you have to file tax returns. You have to file, you know, those tax forms with every state that you are working in. So if you were working in Vegas, you got to fill out the tax form for Vegas. And if you go to, I don't know, Delaware, you got to fill out the tax form for Delaware. Every business trip you go, you got to fill out the tax form. Did you know that? And I, go, I didn't know that. And, and, and they said, do you have to do it? I go, oh, come on, let's be reasonable. It's burdensome. And one lady looked at me and says, I think we should do it. We should obey the law. Because that's what God has told me to. <gasps> Rebuke. But she's right. She's honoring God by filling out that tax form in Delaware and Nevada. Why? Because that reflects the honest character of God. That's how you glorify Him. You, don't, you just don't glorify Him going in a mission field in Africa and dying for His name, as beautiful as that is. No, 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 no. In your dealings, honesty, integrity, morality is the way you glorify God. Do you know that? And this especially comes when you say things about him. The best, most beautiful way that you glorify God is saying what is true about him. Not what you feel about him, but actually accurately depict who he is. My biggest pet peeve, I'm going to share you because I love you, is the Bible study that says, so what do you think this verse means? And the guy goes, you know what I think this verse means is this. Oh, it doesn't matter what you feel the verse means. 
Teach them what it says. What it actually says. You don't glorify God by sharing to other people what you think the gospel means. Tell them the accuracy, the truth of what you are saying. If you're a Sunday school teacher, like I said last week, it doesn't matter where Tommy, Timmy, and Terry know what you are saying about God. It doesn't matter whether they comprehend it or not. What matters is you accurately tell and tell teaching Tommy, Terry, and Terry about who God is. Right? That's how you glorify Him. And you evangelize, sharing the good news, telling God about who He is. And then you got to pray. Right? you got to pray. It is God who persuades people. That's true. You pray because it is God who opens hearts. That's true. you got to pray because we're, coward, we're cowards. Right? And we, we, we're really afraid. And you've got to pray so that God will give you the courage. you got to pray for opportunities. Right? you got to pray for opportunities. It is God who brings you, it is God who brings you to the people that you, that you need to evangelize to. So you pray. You pray for these things. And you go out and you evangelize. Last was a good sermon. This week, the sermon is about evangelism and the church. One of the best ways that we evangelize is for us to be part of a church and for us to do what God says to do. Evangelism is not, is not just a one-to-one, I'm a lone soldier for Christ, Right? I'm a special forces person for Christ, and I go out to enemy territory. Evangelism is not just a lone soul endeavor. It is connected to the life of the church. Jesus, in John 13, 35, says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. He's saying, everyone in the world will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. Love here doesn't mean love for humanity. Jesus' use word love is love amongst Christians. He's saying the way you know that you're a Christian is if you love your brothers and sisters in embrace. That's what he, if you localize it, that's what he means. You know you're a Christian if you love the people of this local church. And not only is that evidence of your salvation... That is the way you show the world that you are his disciple. How we treat one another, what we do here together, sends a message out to the society, to the community, about who Jesus is. Do you know that? What we do, the things that we do together here, and how we treat one another, that is a powerful tool of evangelism. Once again, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prays that his disciples will be unified. Jesus prays to the Father that he prays that his disciples will be unified so that the world will know that God has sent Jesus. Jesus says, believers, unity, unity amongst the believers is the tool in which the unbelieving world knows that God the Father sent Jesus Christ. Unity is a powerful tool of evangelism. What does the word unified mean here? It means, once again, doing things what God told us to do. Being the people that God wants us, formed us to be and doing the things that God wants us to do. That's the source of, that's how we're unified. 
So in order for us to better understand how to glorify God amongst each other, we've got to first understand the biblical definition of a church. So basically Jesus is saying, if you are acting like the church that I formed you to be, if a church is really acting like the church, if the people of God are actually acting like the people of God, then God will use them to save the world. What is the definition of a church? I'm going to pull up Pastor Uji and I'm going to use a PowerPoint slide. PowerPoint slide. Definition of a church. Next slide. Oh, look at that. The first definition of, of, of a church is gathering of baptized, born-again believers. Church is a gathering of baptized, born-again believers. It is not a place where unbelieving Tom, Dick, and Harry goes and just like worships together. That's not a church. I mean, I'm glad Tom, Dick, and unbelieving Tom, Dick, and Harry comes to our church. Right? I'm glad that they're here. But that's not really the church. The church is a gathering of born-again, people who's got, who met Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ changed and saved, and they're born again, and they're baptized as a public confession that they're born again. It is a gathering of such people. That's the church. Second element. Covenanting together in love. And that's what membership is. Born-again believers coming together, and they covenant, they make promises to one another that we will love each other, we will walk together, we will live life together. That's what a church is. That's why membership is important. I'm going to go to different churches, check it out. I don't want to be beholden to one church. I'm a universal church guy. No. You're called to be committed to make a covenant with a local body of believers. Right? Second thing, third thing, churches. Three, to meet regularly. A church is gathered, born-again people who covenant together to live together, who gather regularly. Right? Not every Christmas or Easter, but, at, but regularly. Once a week, twice a week, three times a week if possible. And to do what? To meet regularly. Fourth element. Under the leadership of Scripture and the elders, Right? under the pastors and the deacons, especially under the scriptures. Fifth element, learn the word of God. That's what we're doing, right? The word of God has to be central in the life of the church. Sixth element, worship God together. Seventh element, serve each other as the visible image of the gospel and to give God the glory. This is what the church is. Church is not a group of socially, social group who wants to hang. A church is not an aggregate of people who just wants to hang out. Hanging out is important. I want to hang out with you. Let me know if you want to hang out. I'll hang out with you. Right? But that's not what the church primarily is. In the immigrant community, right, your parents, your grandparents, they came to church, a lot of them, they came to church because they needed people, Korean people to hang out with. But back when I was a kid in the 70s, there, were, there weren't any Koreans. There was only one Korean restaurant in the area called Tongchon, Paradise East, right? I grew up in Paradise East. Every Korean grew up in Paradise East because that's the only Korean restaurant in Route 7. Because there weren't that many Korean, Korean people, people came together at churches as a social function. As important as that is, that's not the purpose of the church. 
The, 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 the church is not just a place. It's not, it's not a preaching station. You don't come to church just to hear good old, good old PJ preach. If you're coming here just to hear me preach, then you're not really, function, you're not really serving the function of the church. A church is more than a preacher. I hope it's more than a preacher. And a church is not a place where you do social justice, where you try to get together to do social good. Social justice is important. But the church doesn't primarily exist to, to solve social problems. That's not what a church is for. Church is a gathering of born-again believers coming together, meeting regularly under the authority of Scripture and the leaders to worship together, to learn the word of God together, and to love each other, to reflect the image of the gospel. That's what the church is. And we will do. And if we do what God told us to do, God's going to use us to evangelize lost souls. What are we, if that's the definition of the church, then what are some of the things that we got to do as a church? Isn't the definition, right? We meet regularly. First of all, be a member. If you're a Christian and if you're not a member of the church, you are going against God's will, right? Serve the local body of believers, right? Serve the local body of believers, meet regularly, study the Word of God together. Study the Word of God through listening to the preached sermons. Study the Word of God by preparing for small groups. Study the Word of God as come to coming to prayer meetings. Our prayer meetings, basically, we pray 30 minutes and we talk about the Bible for one hour. That's what our prayer meetings basically are. We come, we come, we learn together. We worship properly. The songs that we sing, right? May, may it reflect, accurately reflect who God is. And we love one another. We are committed to one another. We just don't see each other once a week, but make a, make a, members, make a deliberate effort to communicate and to love one another. If we do that, we will fulfill the mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all nations. The way you fulfill the mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all nations, it is to be and to do what the church is supposed to be and do. It isn't programs. It isn't just going out to Tyson's Corner Mall and handing out tracts. As important as that is, that is not the primary way that you fulfill the Great Commission. The way we fulfill the Great Commission is to become the people that God wants us to be and do the things that he wants us to do. Gathering together regularly, covenanting together, study the word of God together, pray together, worship together, do life together. That's how you evangelize to the lost world. And this is so evident in the way that the early church, how the early church did it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, it is a description of what the, how the early church did it. How the early church, how the, how the early church was formed and how the early church lived their lives together. Right? How was the early church formed? Acts chapter 1 begins as Jesus ascends into heaven and they, they, they choose... You know, apostle number 12. Remember, Judas hanged himself. So they, 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 hire, they, they find another apostle. So now there are 12 apostles. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2 is the coming of the Holy Spirit. These 12 dudes were in a place, and the Holy Spirit wow, descended upon them. It was like a wind rushing in their midst. Tongues of fire fell on them, right? And these ones, people who are cowards, who left Jesus to die on the cross by himself, they became the men of God. 
And as soon as they receive the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in tongues. Peter then gets up. He goes to the Jewish crowds and he preaches. Remember Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times? Cowardly Peter, impetuous Peter, Peter, Peter Piper Pepper Pepper. You remember that guy? The coward? I don't know Jesus. That guy. Once receiving the Holy Spirit, he goes out to the Jewish crowd, the same people that he was afraid of, and he preaches. He doesn't preach, oh, you know what Jesus means to me is this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, you know, according to social, social, social psychological research, believing Jesus is a good thing. He doesn't do that. He boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, who God is, who Jesus is. If you don't believe, you will perish. He says it. You know what happens when he says those words? Bang! Big bang happens. 3,000 people gets converted. You know what? So these people were Jewish people, the people who got converted. They were around God's word a lot. But it was until Peter preached the, the gospel. Before then, they didn't understand who God was. After Peter preached, they understood. So during our Friday night prayer meeting, right, like, got really intense, because I made it really intense, evidently, right? I had a vision during the prayer meeting, right? I, I think it was like Sean was praying, and rather than paying attention to what Sean was saying, I had a vision, right? And the vision is this, right? Thanks, Sean, right? I, th I thought about it in my head. I don't get visions, by the way, right? But I, I, there was like an image of like a marble ball that my parents have. You know what a marble ball is? All Asian companies. The families have it, right? I don't know, marble equals good luck or something. So there's this like heavy marble ball my parents have. And the, because it's made out of marble, the surface is really hard, right? And you can expose that marble ball into different elements. You can put it in water. Water's not going to go inside the surface of that thing. Water's not going to go underneath, inside, because the hard surface is so hard. You can put it in paint, right? Oh, that's the image that I had when Sean was praying, right? You can put it in paint. The paint's not going to go inside. inside the, it's not going to seep inside the surface because the outer layer is really hard. You can pour coffee on it, Coke on it, Red Bull on it, cold brew coffee on it. It's not going to penetrate the inside because the outer, outer shell is really hard. That outer shell, heart, marble, outer shell, is the human heart. It's the unbelieving human heart. No matter what element that you put an unbelieving human heart, you can put the unbelieving human heart in a religious community, like embrace. You can put the unbelieving human heart inside this religious community, Unless God cracks open the surface of your heart and let the word come in, you're not going to be converted. You can take the unbelieving heart and put it in a disco, disco setting. Do people still disco? I don't know. Disco is not going to influence what is already inside that human heart. You can take the hard unbelieving human heart in, in, in marriage. Two unbelieving hearts can get married. And, and the marriage is not going to work unless something penetrates this hard outer shell. 
These guys that Peter preached to had hard outer shells. Even though their entire life they were raised in a religious community, they weren't believers. Until Peter preached, God took the knife of his word, cracked open their outer hearts, and the word got in. When the word got in, they became changed, born again. You see how that works? I saw all this when Sean was praying. That's what conversion is. God breaking the hard outer shell of your heart and letting the word of God pour in. 3,000 people had their outer shells cracked that day. And the message of the Lord Jesus went inside of them and they became born again and they became baptized. 3,000 people. And that's how the church started. That's what conversion is, you know? It isn't placing your, being born again is not placing your heart outer shell in different types of environments, even a religious environment. That's not what born again is. It's God cracking the outer surfaces of your heart and letting the word get in. So what do these people do? Let's look, verse 42. These first Christians, what do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles. They devoted themselves. They are, there are certain, certain things that they devoted, they devoted themselves to. And what do they devote? Devote means committed. Right? Being devoted means you're absolutely committed to do, this is how you're going to live your life. Right? Being devoted. So what, 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 what were they committing their lives to? What do they, how do they live every day? Number one, they dedicated themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They got together every day, whether it's someone's home or a temple or at Starbucks somewhere, and they studied the Word of God together. The image is this. The apostles would come, right? 3,000 people, 12 apostles. You know, I don't know what the apostle-congregant ratio would be, but that's how it was. The apostle would come, right? He would teach about who God is, who Jesus is, how we ought to live, right? Then they will listen, they will ask questions, they will discuss. Apostles will teach again, right? That's how, that's how it worked. And they did this every day. The first thing they did was devoting themselves to the teaching. Why is that important? It is important because the way the salvation comes, salvation comes through the mind. The way God cracks the harder, unbelieving shell of your heart is through your mind, you know? That's how it works. Sometimes I fall through the YouTube, you know, rabbit hole, and once, like, I ended up in a Christian concert, like, clip, right? And I, I, was, I was looking at it, and, like, everyone was singing as if they were entranced. Right? They were, like, they were entranced. I'm like, huh, that's interesting, Right? Nothing wrong being entranced. I was entranced today. Thanks, Rob. Right? But the message of the concert is you need this kind of spiritual experience to be born again. No, you don't. Experience comes after God cracks your heart out of shell through the word, which comes through your mind. 
being born again is transformation in the way you think. It's not the way you feel. Born again is not transformation in how you feel. It's the way you think. The joy, the commitment to holiness, all these things comes after your mind is changed. Once again, it's not experiences. It's not, you know, you know those things that you, you have emotional highs, right? You know this. We're going to retreat a couple of weeks. And I hope the pastor, worship pastor dude, right, does a good job. And I hope you feel entranced, right? But you know after feeling that entranced, how long does that emotional thing last? It doesn't last even an hour, doesn't it? I remember my son going on a youth group retreat here. And I don't know what that retreat speaker dude was saying. But all I heard was he was screaming. Let it out! Let it out! Right? And I go, let what out? Right? Let it go! Are we Elsa? Let it go! The, the pastor that was yelling at them. I go, what's going on? And I was driving with my son back home. I go, son, did you let it go? I let it go, Dad. <laughs> right? But that didn't change his behavior. It didn't change his mind. You can let it go at any moment. Right? You can surrender at any moment. But the feeling of surrender is not going to last because that's not what, how God designed you to be. God designed you to be by changing your mind. That's why at Embrace, we preach to the mind. Right? Because that's the way God changes people. Once again, people look at me angrily. There's nothing wrong with being entranced. And emotional experiences are legit. Right? I, had, I shed a tear or two like, during worship service. That's all great and good and natural and dandy. But that's not how the salvation works. It works through the mind. When the word of God seeps in, in God crack opening your outer shell, and the word of God being seeped in. That's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching. What else did they do? They devoted themselves. They committed themselves to fellowship. What is the definition of fellowship? They actively participated in the life of other people. Because they had Jesus Christ in common. They actively participated in the life of the other Christians in their church because they knew they had Jesus Christ in common. They would eat together. They would encourage one another. They would admonish, yell at each rebuke one another if it need be. If one dude lost his job, people will share their money with them. And these people weren't rich. Right? They actively lived life together. They did small group together, and they weren't feeling sick on a Friday in February because they don't want to go. No, they went. Even though they felt they didn't want to go on a Friday in February. And they deliberately were in, were in each other's lives. Why? Because, they, because the other guy was such a good person? No. Because they knew that Jesus Christ is at the center of their lives, and because they knew they belonged to Jesus, they committed to one another. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread. That means the Eucharist. That means the Lord's Supper. Which means what the significance of the Lord's Supper is they constantly reminded each other through the participation in the Lord's Supper that who they are in Jesus Christ. But doing the Lord's table constantly, they always remembered fundamentally that they belonged to Christ. And that reminder, along with the apostles' teaching, 
motivated themselves, motivated them to, to love one another more deeply. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They met together. They prayed together. If one had need, they would pray. When they were scared, they would pray. They would pray, pray, pray. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were fellowshipping. They were committed to one another. They were praying. They reminded each other of Jesus Christ. That's how they lived. You know what happened? A few things happened. The first thing that happened, according to verse 43, as they lived like this, the first thing that happened was awe came upon them. Awe. A-W-E. If I had a third child, I'll name him or her Awe. Right? My mom would call him Awe. Right? You like that Korean joke? Right? Awe came. What is the sense of awe? Sense of awe is this sense of great reverence and fear and mad respect and love for God. As they were coming together doing these things, God filled them with a great sense of awe, of who they had an understanding of who God was and how he loved them and how he saved them. And that it all was filled in their hearts. Guys and gals, have you know, do you know this awe that God gives you? Have you experienced this kind of awe that God gives you? I experienced it last week. Last week was, the, was extra crazy, extra stressful. Usually, it's a 2 a.m. day. If I sleep at 1 a.m., it's a good day, right? I'm, I'm being lazy. 2 a.m. is an average day when I fall asleep. 3 a.m. is a really busy day. And it was a constant 3 a.m. all throughout the week, including Friday, if you like to prepare a sermon, right? And not only was there a lot of work, people are complaining, right? Oh, oh. And you sleep for like five hours, and you get up, and it was one of those days where it is like I was beaten tired. But you know what I did? For God's grace, I changed my routine a little bit. I got up. After five hours of sleep, I got up. Start, list, start turning on the Bible app. and start listening to the Bible. Right? And then like, I would sit and I would read a little bit. Right? I would follow the voice. Because I'm early, it's early in the morning. I can't really read and comprehend. I, just, I follow along and I read. And then I eat breakfast, take a shower, and while I'm preparing, I have the Bible in the back of my mind, right? So I go through like five chapters that way. And I, and I got in the car, and I start driving. Once I hit 66, right, that's how I go to work, right? I start praying. I go, and oh, I prayed. I prayed my heart out. I was going this. I was going that. I was pounding my dashboard, right? I was great, right? Some people would think that I was, I was like yelling at a client or something, right? Because I would, like, I would look like a crazy person inside my car, praying joyfully, telling God what he needs to do, who he is. Oh, wonderful, pounding things. And one can't pray like that for a long time. So after 30 minutes of it, I got tired. So I listened to Truthful Life by Alistair Beck, right? It's a sermon. He's a, I'm one of my favorite preachers. So I got his app. I, pray, I played it. When I hit the 14th, when I hit... Like DC, when I started seeing the Washington Monument, you know what happened? All started to come to my heart. The sense of God came into my heart. And I started tearing up. God was so present and great and big and awesome and so real. 
I was filled with awe. Some would say, well, that, maybe that's just sleep deprivation. Right? You unbelievers, I know how you think. But it happened again on Tuesday. It happened again on Thursday. What happened on Wednesday? I don't know. It happened again on Friday. He gives you all. I recognize, right, that it is sometimes hard to read the Bible. Sometimes, the way you, some of you express it, it's like the hardest thing ever for you to, like, crack open the Bible and pray. And I recognize it is hard. But know this. God, Jesus says, knock and it will be open. Seek, you shall find. Ask, you should be given. Jesus promised generosity of his presence to you, and that's true. When you open up your life and say, I want to know you, fill me with awe, and start searching the scriptures about who he is and start praying in conformity to who he is, I guarantee you, you experience awe. I'm not this person. I don't experience all because I'm a pastor. Look, I'm a, I'm a jerk, you know. Yesterday I went, I went to I went to a like a like a like a like a clinic for a free legal clinic, right? And I was like, and I was like in the back, like work, writing a sermon, waiting for my client, writing a, writing the sermon. And right in front of me were like three like young lawyers, right? They they looked new, they sounded new, and they were like pontificating about the importance of law, and that's annoyed me. I go. What? Like they were saying things that are not true, and they were because they were so new. They were like all self-important, and I was like, I was like, ugh. Writing a sermon, I go, ugh. Be quiet. And then I looked to the left, and Bank of America, for some reason, sent some of their interns for like I don't know, serve America Day or something. And rather than serving clients, they were taking, they were wearing their Bank of America I Serve T-shirts and taking selfies. Oh, so clearly, I'm not a holy man. Clearly, there are things that just annoy me. But the reason why God gives me all is not because of who I am, but because he is generous, and that generosity is can, give, can be given to you. The early church experienced all. You can experience all. Not only have they experienced all, it says, they saw many wonders and signs from the apostles, which means in, with their eyes, they saw many miracles happen. I don't know whether we can see many miracles. I don't know whether you know, we'll, we'll see, like there's many dead people coming back to life or sick people being healed in this church. But what is on, even though signs and miracles may not be visibly happening here in the church, Signs and wonders is about the power of God, and the power of God is demonstrated within his people. The church is not just a place where you learn about these theories, but it is a place where you experience the power of God, where unbelievers are, are saved, where rebels are made holy, right? Relationships are being built. There are things happen. When his people do the things that he wants them to do, be in all of him. The power of God is upon his people, and you see things happen. 
in this church, I see things happen. I see sins being overcome. I see relationships being rebuilt. I see things, I see dead, dead people coming into life. There are things that happen here, and that's a natural thing. Because when we do the things that God wants us to do, He will fill our church with power, and that's what the early church has experienced. Right? What else happened? As they experienced all, as they experienced the many wonders and signs of God, their love, love for each other deepened. How deep? They met together and they shared everything in common. It's one thing to say that you love me. It's one thing to share with me your bank account, right? Right? It's one thing to say, yeah, I love you, Pastor Jay, but when, I'm, when I lose my job, it is one thing for you to take a portion of your money and give it to me. Right? Aren't you glad that you have a rich lawyer? Pastor? But if it need be, that's what they do, right? They shared property. They met regularly. They loved deeply. What were they doing? They were reflecting the gospel. They were behaving in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The love and the mercy they received from God, they showed it to the people in their lives. That's how it works. When God cracks open the surfaces of your heart, and if the word of God truly goes in you, what happens? You become a generous person, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what's happening. Not only that, they were praising God together and they start winning the favors of men. Unbelievers looked at them and they go, wow, something is different about those people. The way they lived their lives, the way they loved each other, the way they conducted themselves became really attractive. It was offensive to other people, but to, but to other people, it was really attractive. You know how the early church grew? We'll quote Tim Keller, who was quoting some other author. Early church grew. First century church grew. Christianity started as a small sect, but he dominated the Roman Empire. How did it happen? There are many different reasons, but one of the key reasons is the way Christians lived was different. The unbelieving Roman world looked at the Christians and, and how they were generous towards each other and to the people in the community how they were sacrificially giving of themselves to each other and to the people in need. No religious sect were as generous as the Christians. Unbelievers looked at them, wow, look at the way those guys love each other. Wow, look at the way they, way they spend each other. Wow, look at the way they're just giving money to the poor, even though those dudes were poor. They became generous. They were diverse. The Roman Empire was, like America, many different types of you know, sects, right? Different types of races and sects. Pe people usually hang out with their own kind. Koreans hang out with other Koreans. Caucasians hang out with other Caucasians. Right? African Americans hang out with African Americans. There weren't a lot of mixing going on in that society. But the church was a mixture of people. And all calling each other brothers and sisters. Why? Because they knew they had Jesus Christ in common. When they saw people living out the gospel, the unbelieving world was so attracted by it that they would visit those gatherings 
and it says the Lord added to their numbers. The Lord saved those people. How was the early church an effective tool of evangelism? They did what God told them to do. They studied the word together. They prayed together. They met together. They devoted their lives together. And out of that, out of that submission, all came, life came, love came, and through them, salvation came. Do you want embrace to be an effective tool of evangelism? Right? The best way to do it. And not only go and evangelize to your coworkers, I'm not going to get you out of that one, but just as important as that, us striving to be what God wants us to be. Look, today's my fifth year, wedding, fifth year embrace anniversary. Right? Not wedding anniversary. I've been married more than five years. I think today's like, today is it. I think today's like my five year, five year embrace anniversary. Where's my cake? No? Are you going to reel out a cake? Five? No? Not going to happen today? Shame on you. But I was re- reflecting what has happened in this church. And the one thing that I could say that happened in this church, the greatest thing that I could say that happened in this church, are genuine conversions. Genuine conversions happened. We are not a church where church grew because ch- people from other churches like, came here and make it big. That's how most churches in this area became really big like transient communities. Uh, I don't like this church. I'm going to this church, right? So um, nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that you're here from other churches. But that's not what we're about, I don't think. What is happening in here is genuine conversion. I can think of faces and names of people who never knew Christ, who were never raised in the church, who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that happened, didn't happen once. It happened, didn't happen twice. It happens multiple times. I was having, I had lunch with a dear sister last week. I'm not going to reveal her name because I don't want to call her, cause her embarrassment. Right? And what she said to me just stuck with me all throughout this week, last week. And it was a passing comment she made. And she, she was talking about how she was talking to her friends. And she was telling her friends her hope, how her hope is not in politics, but her, her, hope, her hope is in the kingdom of God. This person wasn't a Christian three or four years ago. But now the kingdom of God is such a reality. How is that possible? How in the world is that possible? Conversion. There are other stories too, you know, people who got converted. What did we do to convert such people? Do we have evangelism program? Do we go out of Farrell's Mall and do a track thing? You know what we did? We did, we strive to do what God wants us to do. We are gathered, we're committed to one another. We faithfully learn the word of God together. It is my, at least I, str- I try my hardest to accurately portray or accurately describe the word, teach the word of God. The word of God is being taught in small group settings. We come together every Tuesday. We pray. We pray correctly. We don't just pray for a wish list. Right? I went to my wife's, like, prayer, like my wife's church on Sunday once. 
and they have prayer meetings during service. And it's like a long list of like medical issues. Pray for my cataracts. Pray for my bad hip, because there are a lot of old people there. Pray for my, like, you know, pray for my knees, right? As good as those things are, that's great. But what we do here is we pray even based on the word of God. That's what we do. That's what we've done. That's the culture. Are we perfect? Of course we're not perfect. Of course we say we're sick in February and not go to small group. And of course we're cold sometimes. We're not as generous sometimes. We're not a perfect church. You know and I know that we're not a perfect church. But because we do the things that God wants us to be, God is using us to save sinners. He really is. And when he looks at us, I think he'll be so proud of us. He's not proud of us because of the numbers that we have. I think he's so proud of us because he used us to convert unbelievers. And you should be proud that you're part of his community. So what do we do? We continually strive what God wants us to do. We continually, Pastor Ujian and I and all the small group leaders and all the Bible study teachers, whoever you are, we all strive to most accurately describe who God is through our teachings. Worship team, you strive to pick the right songs that perfectly accurately reflect who God is. Welcoming team, you actively strive to welcome, welcome, welcome newcomers, unbelievers to our midst. Members, we strive to fellowship with one another, to actively participate in each other's lives. When we do these things, people will be converted. I am not interested in making a big church. I'm not. I don't care. I don't care. That sounds like a harsh word. Having a big church because one transient group of people who didn't like their church coming and planning ourselves and making our numbers big, that doesn't really interest me. Let CCPC, ODPC talk, like, discuss that amongst themselves. I love those churches, by the way. Right? I think we're about conversion. And I don't know how, what numbers will be. I don't know who will come and go. But what matters is that when we are faithful to do, do in what, doing what God told us, tell us to do, he will use us to save souls. And that's what matters, right? Embrace, we're doing good. I think it's the first time I'm actually complimenting you and not yelling at you. We're doing good. The strive to do better. Strive to love each other. Strive to learn more. Strive to teach more. Strive to pray more so that we will be used to save other, other souls. Let's pray.